I think they talk about yoga in a different way than asanas. Correct. We already said that. Yeah. So give us the what, how they talk about it. Yeah, they talk about karma yoga, they talk about bhakti yoga, gnana yoga. Not in the Bhagavad Gita. Yes, uh -huh. they do. He, he expands, but what's the first aspects of yoga? What's the first thing of yoga? You just went to, like, commentaries. Okay. <laughs> yeah. These are the commentaries. Yeah. But what does Krishna tell Arjuna? Uh, the, the talk they have together is to know yourself, I think. Okay. That he was to, what, what are you doing? You're struggling, you're going to this war field and you're, you are going to kill your family and uh, guru and everything. And no, his guru was Krishna. <laughs> yeah, but he also had other gurus at the... Teachers. teachers. Okay, so let's, yeah? let's put the context correctly. Yeah, okay. So uh, the yeah. Bhagavad Gita is this chapter right before a war begins. Yeah. How they got to the war is the, the whole story of the Mahabharata. Mm. And what we discover is that the captain, the leader of one family, mm. Arjuna, is at the mountaintop with his advisor, Krishna. Mm. And it's Arjuna that looks down mm. and he tells Krishna, Oh, no, wait. Tonight, the night before the battle, I'm looking down and suddenly I'm remembering mm. that down there are my cousins. Mm. And along with my cousins, some of the other elders that I knew because some of them were my teachers. Mm. And I remember we all hung out and we all kind of played. And I know we had a lot of problems in our life, but I can't believe tomorrow I'm going to kill them. And that makes me sad and confused. And so Krishna now tells Arjuna, one second, mm. I'm surprised you're confused, one. Two, this was your purpose of life. Mm. And so you, this was why you were born. So now we have the commentary about karma. And not yeah, karma yoga, yeah. but karma. Mm. What is karma? Mm. Karma is what you were meant to do with your life, which is the whole idea. Was this savvy day? Hmm? What do you say now? Karma is... Karma. Karma is your purpose. Okay. The, the path that you were born to live. So each and every person, you were born here in this human body of yours. And while you're in this human body, there are things that you were able, you were able to do. Mm. That makes sense? Mm. You have to discover them. <laughs> Arjuna's purpose of life, whatever, ev everything else, but the purpose of Arjuna's life was for this war mm. and the rest of his brothers. <laughs> and was for to kill the family, so? Well, Even, uh... well, 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 whether or not it was actually to kill people, well, obviously there's a war. And so when you go to war, <laughs> you're going to kill people. In the times of the Mahabharata, this idea that we have about killing and life is not the same. Death is part of life and sometimes killing is needed. And going to kill is not an issue the way we have in our moralistic ways of today. Nothing wrong with bringing and there's a lot of moralistic elements around, but the idea of death and killing someone isn't the way we are having so hesitant. Meaning, if you did something wrong to me, I can kill you and it's fine and you're dead, <laughs> done. <laughs> we have a different moralistic today about it. And we have to develop that as 
And so when you really read the Mahabharata, there's a whole... When you really read it, you become aware of the ancient aspects of having a completely different acceptance around sexual themes, killing themes and such that later on may have evolved differently for society. Does that make sense? But karma, in terms of this sense, is a certain purpose that you have while you have a body. Not yoga yet, which is a different purpose. The karma is, so like, let's say, you have to discover it. I don't know what your actual karma is. You have to know, you have to find it. Each and every one of us has to allow ourselves to feel what it is. Mm. Why was I born? <laughs> what was I here to give the world? Is right? it like a dharma or is it different? Well, dharma is, is, is teaching. teaching. This is dharma now. <laughs> karma is your purpose. The dharma is to help you discover your karma. <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay. So if you study dharma, then hopefully one day you'll have your own awareness of purpose. And a lot of times in these kind of conversations, it's very weird because people think I have to have like one thing. And what you'll discover over time is it's not like that. It's not like, oh, I was born to sing. Well, good for you and sing. If you're Taylor Swift, you were born to sing and you're singing. And you sang since you were age 11 and maybe you'll sing till the day that you die. But what if I wasn't? And so then maybe, so one purpose for karma, for instance, is family. So we'll take Krishnamacharya, who is the person who helped bring this practice out into the world. And his teacher in the mountains asked him for one thing. Now whether or not that was his karma or not, but up until that point, Krishnamacharya is 36 years old. He's, he's actually, he went to the mountain in 33. He's actually 40 now. He spends seven years in the mountains. So at the age of 40, where everyone else in India is already have grandkids, <laughs> here's a man who hasn't had a wife, has no kids. So his teacher is telling him, look, I only have one request from you. I didn't charge you, I taught you everything, I fed you, you lived with my family, we treated you like our son, he had seven other children. I only have one request. You didn't pay me, it's not like I paid you. I have one request from you. You go down and you go get a wife and you have a child and you keep teaching what I shared with you. So now suddenly, Krishnamacharya is left with a new karma. Whether he knew about it before he went up to the mountains or he had a feeling about it, we have to ask him. He's dead now. But it's we... a beautiful story. Right. Yeah, it, and I think we have so much to be grateful for that actually. That, of course. Yeah, because he, he's the reason that we're doing what we're doing. Correct, exactly. Yeah. Meaning, for our times today, yeah, correct. Yeah, yeah. If it wasn't for Krishnamacharya, mm -hmm. this person, a lot of the yogas that we see today wouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. it, might not, not, it doesn't mean that yoga might not have appeared, but Mr. Ayangar is Krishnamacharya's student. Patabi Joyce, who really helped keep this tradition alive, mm -hmm. is a student. Um, Desikachar, that brought Vini Yoga, and that style of vinyasa's beginning was his son. So, but still, if it wasn't for Desikachar, we wouldn't have that. Indra Devi, who helped to bring yoga to the Hollywood stars back in the late 60s. And then helped to bring yoga to South America and the like. She was his student. So we have these four pillars of human beings that took his teachings and came back to the West. And totally shared what they got from Krishnamacharya. Each of them in their own style and approach. 
right? Um, we can look back and whether we, whether we want to accept it or not, but for all of these people, the yoga that was first presented to them was Ashtanga-based. This, this Ashtanga-based, this style of asana practice. Each of them then developed their own way of how to share the aspects of those teachings with their students. Does that make sense? But, but do you know if they just choose it by themselves? They, yes. Or they just have this uh, thing that I want to do something different because it's diff four different styles actually. It's four different styles, but so the Vini Yoga one, the Desika Char, by that point, Krishnamacharya has already shifted. Okay. The shift wasn't for the person doing the practice. No, okay. The shift was for the student. Yeah, okay. So the best example mm. is Ayangar. Yeah. Ayangar is Krishnamacharya's son-in-law mm -hmm. or brother-in-law. His wife mm. is Ayangar's older sister. Mm -hmm. and so Krishnamacharya comes down from the mountain and he gets a family, and he gets married. And the woman he marries, when you marry a woman, then her family kind of comes to live with you. And he marries a woman, and she has a young brother. That man is Ayangar. Right? And Ayangar was diagnosed with tuberculosis at a young age. And the doctors told him, you're not going to live long. You know, it's India, it's the early 1900s. <laughs> They didn't have much cures for tuberculosis. After a couple of years with her husband, the wife realizes you are a powerful person. You heal people, you help people, I see it. <laughs> this is my brother. Help him. Teach him the yoga that you teach others. And he's like, no. He's too old. He's 16. <laughs> Too old. <laughs> Again, we're giving a context, right? We're giving a context. At this point, Krishnamacharya is still kind of teaching primary Siri. Primary Siri will heal you when you do it correctly. Hence why we do these things as a teacher, in my mind. I, as a teacher, am only doing my best to help you do the practice efficiently. So that if you do it efficiently, the practice will help you. If you do the practice inefficiently, the practice can't help you in the deeper sense of it. Maybe you'll lose weight, maybe you'll get strong, and all of those things. But there's other things that this practice is trying to provide you from this healing side. Forget the spiritual side and the emotional side. So there's power to this practice, right? And if you are sick and you healed, then you know it. And if you've never been sick, then good for you, <laughs> you know? And so I know a lot of people who have injuries or have had problems and this practice helped them. And then other people like other practices. So it doesn't matter. The idea of asana practice can help you. But at this particular point, Krishnamacharya is like, no, he's too old. I work with young kids. They have a discipline. They have, they have, a, they have the ability to remember. They, I, can, I can manage them. And they also don't have the same kind of injuries and tensions the like. And so two things he points to his wife. One, he's too old, and two, in his mind, her brother is kind of lazy and such. Nonetheless, she bugs him and she bugs him, and if you ever have a husband and, you wanna, and he wants to keep you, he'll do what you wish. 
<laughs> and so eventually he starts teaching Ayanga. Not nor here nor there, you can jump onto the internet and see a lot of videos, interviews with Ayangar about the fact that he has tremendous respect for his teacher, but he also had a hard time with him. It's a very known fact. And it's also a known fact in the Ashtanga world, those who dig down, that Krishnamacharya is older, but he has Patabi Joyce as one of his main students. And he puts Patabi Joyce as the person, look, like I come over and help you, learn this, 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 something like that, chi chi. <laughs> So it's Patabi Joyce that is working with the Yangar to remember the poses. Krishnamacharya is there also as a general element. At some point, and so a Yangar really works really hard and focuses really hard and he is, his body will eventually heal. Right? He died in 93, so obviously he had a long life and he credits yoga for giving him a long life. While they're together, they go around and they do different demonstrations. Now, before Ayangar is the main vehicle for demonstrations, there were other students. But as they get older and leave, at some point, Krishnamacharya is left with his brother-in-law. <laughs> so by the time Ayangar is 26, he's the only one. So as they travel in India to do demonstrations, he has to take Ayangar with him. And there's a famous story of a Yangar doing Hanumanasana, which is a split, and a demonstrations, and he tears his hamstrings, because mm. he's trying to please his teacher. Right? It happens. At some point, they travel to Pune. Pune is an area in northwest India. Not all the way north, but kind of just a little north, a little south of Mumbai, but still much northerner than where Mysore is. So they travel to Pune, on an invitation from a women's monastery to come and share yoga and philosophy and such. And so as they do show demonstrations and they share different poses with the group, the group when they are leaving, they're like, oh, please, please, Kiria, who's going to help us? <laughs> well, when you're leaving, you know, what are we going to do? How are we going to remember? It's like, oh, great, you stay. <laughs> so he tells the young guy, you stay. <laughs> And you work with these people. Going back to your question. So a younger now is left with variety of ages, variety of body types, variety of different mental stuff. And so he slowly has to then take what he learned and apply it individually, which is also what we do here. Right? It's no different. We think of a younger style as different because of today's society world. But the younger style is no different than Mysore. Mm. It's individualistic. Mm. The biggest difference is not rote. Mm. It's not rote, not the same thing every day. But technically, if you lived with a younger and practiced with him, it's not like today you do this, tomorrow you do that. Mm. Whatever you needed to do, you're doing it until you're doing it efficiently, and then we can add. Mm. Still Mysore. Mm. Right? Yeah. Still Ashtanga. Yeah. But more targeted to specific people. And as he does that for about 20 years, he realizes he learned a lot about, and he wanted for himself, he learned about his body, he's using his body, he's using other people's body to discover, to go deep. Mm. And that's how he wrote his first book. How did he know what poses affect and help different mm. parts? 
Did he Google? <laughs> Did he go talk to someone else? <laughs> no, he looked at his body and he looked at the bodies of the people he's working with. He's had 20 years experience. <laughs> and then he puts it down on paper, makes a book. Calls, and today we call it Light on Yoga, a Younger's first book. And if you look at the book, the poses are, are, are kind of situated in a very similar format as this. It's not that different. No. Right. It was, uh, you, you think it's so different because he used so much props and, and he's... Uh, but the props, the props are individualistic. Yeah, and that's so good. Correct. That's so so, good. so yeah. we go back to what we just said. Yeah, yeah. I noticed today. I'm working with you, I'm working with you. Yeah. We don't use props in this particular <laughs> approach of practice. But if I needed to give you a prop, I'd give it yeah, to you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's not yeah. like there's, I don't need to give a prop. It's just the idea of a younger is like so associated with the props. Yeah. Forgetting what we're doing now, mm. which is just kind of looking at the history in a bigger yeah. picture. Yeah. That makes sense? Yeah. Yeah. And so we go back to what you asked. Mm. It wasn't that they changed the practice no. for themselves. Mm. They simply were able to take what they learned from us, mm. Krishnamacharya. Yeah which is pay attention to each student, notice how each student is responding to what's going on, give them something that helps them concentrate, focus on their yogic principles, and go from there. And as each of those people goes out into the world to work with real people, they have to adapt because of the real people they're facing with. Does that make sense? Yeah. It's just Patabi Joyce simply stayed with this but in many ways, he never had an issue with the people that came to him. Mm. And when you, if you knew Patabi Joyce when he was alive, when he was teaching with Indians, it was a very interesting aspect on, there was a lot more freedom in things compared to the Westerner. Mm. And you got to remember the Westerners, they don't live in Mysore. They show up, they leave. Mm. So right, in the time period you showed up for, I'm going to do my best to give yeah. you something. And there's not a lot much time to kind of adapt you and manipulate mm. you, correct? Mm. And then as the years passed, it just kind of stayed there. Mm. And also for Patabi Joyce, that was a good practice for him. So he kept that. Mm. And he tried to keep the rhythm of this style of Ashtanga. But Krishnamacharya, and we come back to what I started by, coming back to Ashtanga for us. Mm. But hopefully that made sense on excursions. So this is asana, these are just poses. But we have Patanjali, Ashtanga, eight limbs, and we have Vamana Rishi. Vamana. Vamana means dwarf. Rishi means a sage. Someone who learns like like a like a forest sage. Like any of these people you saw they used to be a sage out in the forest living and discovering things. So Rishi. Lots of Rishis. How did we first learn about yoga? From the rishis, the guys who sat in the forest and meditated and had a revelation. And they shared that revelation through things like the Vedas and the Upanishads. And the idea of sitting with someone who already knows. Upanishad is I'm sitting with someone who knows and they're helping me. And so that was the idea of the tradition prior. Today we have Google and easy. So. <laughs> That makes sense, the general part? So Vamana Rishi takes a philosophy. Because in Patanjali, there is no Shrikonasana. There is no Hastasana. 
There's no poses, the way we think of poses. Not a single pose. Krishna. Patanjali will talk about asana in only three sentences. And he'll make them very simple. A yoga pose is steady and comfortable. Steady? Steady. And comfortable. So if you're not steady and you're not comfortable, then it's not a yoga pose yet. So you're working towards it. Gives an idea about how we do our practice. Right? Second aspect of a yoga pose. When the effort, when the effort to do the pose becomes effortless, that's when it's a yoga pose. Interesting, huh? As long as there's effort to do the pose, it's not yet a yoga pose. But the day where it's not effort, now I'm doing the pose. What an idea. <laughs> Hence the repetition. Again, it's important to understand this about it because that helps us to understand this sequence compared to these other people that we talked about that on a, on a memory idea, on an idea about their styles, is that it's not the same every day. Right? Unless you practice with a Yangar, unless you practice with Indrajevi, unless you practice with Desikachar, we're left with this image that it wasn't the same thing. Even though as I'm describing it to you, like, technically if you were with a Yangar and he's trying to help you, it's not like today you're doing this pose, but tomorrow you're going to do that pose. Today you did this pose, tomorrow you're going to do that pose. Let's see if you get more steady, more comfortable, and it's the effort to do the pose becomes effortless. Mm. Sorry, I really can understand the offer. What mean for the English offer? You say now the second point is the effort. Effort. Effort means um, the the action to do it. Okay. So, so if if I have to like like today, if I say two plus two equals four, two plus two equals what? You'll say four. But if I have a child that never learned math, then two plus two, they'll be like, I don't know. So in order to think about two plus two, there's a lot of effort. They'll have to learn. Okay, okay. So the second point is... is when the effort, yeah. like now math, two plus two, you don't have, there's no effort. You know, you go to the store and they say two plus two, you know it's four. You're not thinking about it, right? Yeah. But if I told you 325 times 360, yeah. unless you're some math genius, there's going to be effort. You're going to start calculating yeah. and usually you'll just take a piece of paper. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right? So 2 plus 2 equals 4 is effortless. No effort. Yes. 3,025 times 3,036 is a lot of effort. Yeah. That makes sense? Yes, yes. So, today, like yesterday, there was a lot of effort. A lot of yeah. hard work. Today, not so hard. Still hard, but yes. not as hard as yesterday. Correct? Yes. So, the effort. Effort is the action to do something. Okay. When that action becomes easy, like driving a car, that's a good, that's one of the best examples. When you first learned to drive a car or your scooter, there was a lot of effort. I looked at mirrors, I'm scared, I'm like, what's happening? But now, you eat a chocolate, you talk on the phone, you text. <laughs> so driving the car is effortless now, was a lot of effort the first week, right? Does that make sense? So Patanjali already pointed out that, hey, when you're so long as there's a lot of effort happening, you're not doing yoga yet. But one day when that effort becomes effortless, that's a yoga pose. Yoga pose. Forget, not yoga, 
just yoga pose, asana, asana. And then the last thing he points out is a very beautiful thing. That the asana, when the effortless happens, then the asana helps you to see the duality. See? The asana shows you the duality when you think of good or bad, right or wrong, comfortable, not comfortable, duality. The, the, yeah, yeah. So, the, the, the asana helps you to remove the duality experience. Not so much right or wrong anymore. Wow. That makes sense? So these are the only three things Patanjali will say about asana, yoga poses. And so Vamana Rishi will then come and realize, okay, well that's nice, Patanjali. You have a beautiful way to take what happened in Bhagavad Gita and make it more accessible for every human being. Because in the Bhagavad Gita, what happens is that Arjuna is looking at them down and is afraid of killing his cousins. And if you're afraid, if you're hesitant, before you go to war, you're going to lose. And then you can take that same idea of anything in life. If you're not going to approach something with confidence and a faith that you can do it, then don't do it at all. Or get the faith in that. Focus on that first. And notice in today's self-help world and Instagram and all those videos, you have enough of those people pointing out on, yes, you have to imagine, you have to know that you're in it. You have to see it. The power of imagination that today we use in the Abraham Hicks or any of those other self-help type. Right? If you see it, you got to know it. If you don't see it and you don't know it in your heart, it ain't going to happen out in the real world. If you have doubt... If you have doubt, then it ain't going to happen in the real world. So the idea again, Krishna is noticing this in Arjuna. He's like, oh, he's, he, he's like, one, it's your karma. So let go of your fears. You were born here. I know you don't know, but I'm a God. I know. <laughs> but, but that's not going to help you. That's this, just knowing this is your karma ain't going to help you on the battlefield. So now I'm going to teach you something that you can apply the minute you have hesitation, the moment you have a fear, the moment you're confused, here's the tool to use to get you out of it. Does that make sense? Yeah. And the tool is yoga. Yeah. I'm going to teach you yoga. And the yoga that Krishna teaches Arjuna is what? Do you remember? No. Focus on me. Yeah. Yeah, okay, self-focus, yeah. Which, remember, a moment ago I talked to you about bhakti yoga. Mm. And bhakti yoga has two parts. Has nada yoga, chanting. Mm. And has guru yoga, focusing on a person. Mm. Devoting oneself to a person, a woman, a man, doesn't really matter. And so that's why the commentaries on the Bhagavad Gita go on karma yoga and all these other yogas because they have a background. But the Bhagavad Gita itself only describes this side of yoga. There's no definition. Mm. That's all. That's yoga. It's not karma yoga or bhakti yoga. That's yoga. Mm. When you're afraid, you focus on me. When you're confused, you imagine that you are Krishna. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah. So you put yourself, you put the image. So that's beautiful, and that's why we have so many different gods, and we do the pujas and all that. 
validating the experience already, meaning they were doing that already, but it gets validated. But what if I am a housekeeper? What if I have a job? How will I apply the teachings of Patanjali that separates, meaning Patanjali suddenly doesn't use pujas, doesn't use people, doesn't use gods to help you discover who you are. Because at the end of the day, it's like you want to know who you are, karma. And so, hey, you're confused now. Focus on me. So you realize. And then Krishna shows Arjuna, I'm not just Krishna. I'm not just this. I am the entire universe expressing itself through this body. Same as you, same as you. So I, Krishna, now I'm showing you that I'm every human being, every plant, every experience of life. I'm showing it to you. This is where Charles Dickens got his, got his inspiration to write the Christmas Carol, by the way. Ah, is it? Yes. Ah. Why does he go to the past, the present, and the future? Which is the same thing as Krishna takes Arjuna yeah. to the past, future, and present. Mm. To see everything. To see everything. that you are part of the whole yeah. cosmos. Yeah. That you might be separate in this form, mm. but there's a part of you in this form that is everything. And while karma, karma might be the purpose you have a body, yoga is the discovery that we are everything. We are one. Mm. Why do we use the word namaste? Mm. What does the word namaste mean to you? Uh, recognize uh, the uh, own energy, you know, it's like uh, grateful for, uh, I can explain in English, like when I say namaste, it's in front of you, it's like I, the soul is the language of the soul. Okay, like, so then, so our soul is the same. So there's a part of us that is the same. <laughs> there's a part of us that is one. There's just one. We're all the same, and yet we're all different. Can I ask you, Please. if someone is lost? Uh-huh. Lost, is in what lost, way? Lost uh, is a little bit far away from this connection, no? This feeling. So in this case, uh, Krishna, no? Remember, Arjuna, everywhere you need to, uh, for everything, you need to think about me. How? If uh, it's not possible, no, it's not possible. If I'm feeling far away a little bit because the, the life and different things. Once again, to take of? this part, to take just this part of the Krishna Arjuna, if you feel lost, that's when you, that's when you look at yourself and say, I'm Krishna. You know you're lost. The minute you feel confused, now you go, oh, I'm confused. Gabriel's confused, but I'm not Gabriel, I'm Krishna. And now I focus that I'm Krishna. See how the difference can no longer be confused. Because if I'm confused, I'm not thinking about Krishna. <laughs> right? I don't know who I am, Krishna. I don't know who I am, Krishna. Well, no, focus on Krishna. Why are you focusing on the thought about who am I? You're Krishna. From this point of view, that makes sense? Yeah. I'm lost. Okay, good. Gabriel's lost, but you're not Gabriel. Now imagine, don't worry about being lost. That's the practice. You're thinking of, oh, I'm lost. I'm so lost. I'm like, okay, I don't care if you're lost. 
I ask you to think about Krishna. Why are you thinking about being lost? <laughs> that makes sense? Stop thinking about being lost, being confused, start thinking I'm Krishna. Does that make sense? Yeah. Right? So, so that side of it led itself, unfortunately, to a society that is separated. Because not everyone can read and at some point the society with India was like, well, the Brahmins know how to do the pujas and the things for the gods. So I'm better than the kings and the kings and I'm better than this and I'm better than that. Now you have a, you have a fragmented society. Does that make sense? It's not what Krishna tried, but then we have a book, but then we have a reality. Does that make sense? So it's a beautiful thing, meaning like even now, like if you, if you go out and use the Bhagavad Gita approach for life, so just walk in your life and every day just meditate on Krishna. Whether by voice, meaning like just say I'm Krishna, walk around and say I'm Krishna. Treat the world like you were Krishna, not Pam, not Veronica. Operate from Krishna side. Does that make sense? Now you don't want to do that, you don't want to do that. And in our Western world, we have a hard time with that. But not in India. Right? But it didn't change society. It didn't, make, it didn't mean that this a way to make people feel free and at one and connected together actually worked. Meaning society didn't live like that. And so Patanjali comes along and sees the fact that the ideas are beautiful. But what if I take away those ideas? What if I take away these gods and make it more scientific? Make it more direct? And practical maybe also? Yeah, and, yeah. and practical, yeah, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Because what happens, notice how we just talked about Krishna, Krishna. Mm -hmm. What happens to you when you're thinking about Krishna? What are you doing? What are you really doing when that happens? I think that Krishna is pure consciousness. One second, one second. But sorry, there you go. But the difference, notice what we said. Yeah. He might be all those things, but yeah. when you're thinking about Krishna, what are you not doing? Thinking your other thoughts. Yeah, yeah, that's for sure, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And I think that if you think about Krishna, it will also give you some strength, you know? That's and nice. That's, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, yeah. well, well, well all, those, all those benefits, yeah. true, but the yeah. science part, the science part is... What was the action, not yeah. the result? No, okay. So the action is that you take away the, the bad thing of thinking because you're thinking of something that's exactly. good. Yeah. Well, or, I mean, or, or not even about, I mean, not even going to go to the right or wrong, good no, or bad. Okay. No. All we said was that yeah. if I'm thinking about Krishna, yeah, you don't think about I can't else. think about no. anything else. No. Going back to Pam, who yeah. was saying, I feel lost. Mm. Okay, I'm glad you feel lost. Now feel Krishna. Mm. So you can't feel those other things. Feelings and thoughts, mm. right? You talked about thoughts, you talked about feelings. Feelings and thoughts. Mm. These are part of our internal world. Mm. And in English we have two words, but in Sanskrit we have one word, chitta. Mm. The word chitta is describing the psycho-emotional realm of our experience. Mm. Like you have thoughts and you have emotions and they both fluctuate. I feel good, I feel bad, I feel tired, I feel energized, I feel like poop, I feel like, I feel like the sunshine, 
You know, all day you go through that. <laughs> every person, every human being throughout the day, if they pay attention, which most of us don't, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, I'm too busy, and oh, wow, I'm, uh, something happens. So something happens, you feel bad, and then you wake up the next day, you feel okay. Emotions, ups and downs, thoughts. I have a lot of thoughts. Oh my God, I wonder what will happen. Oh, I'm happy, my thoughts. Oh, I'm, I'm, look, I'm so good. I could clear, right? Thoughts, in and out, lots of thoughts. <laughs> Chitta, describing both of that. And so Patanjali starts by saying, I'm going to talk about yoga now. Part of it is that it's not Google. There's no Google back then. I mean, today we're talking right now as if back then, almost 3,000, 4,000 years ago, everyone was reading and everyone had access to this information. Hence the fragmented society. The Bhagavad Gita is a huge, is one big, po one big chapter in a much bigger poem. Right? How many people even knew the whole story? Very, very few. But everyone was listening to these stories, right? Whether because you went to the priest and he told a few of the stories, maybe because of a certain part of the year they told some of the stories, meaning for every aspect of life in India, they're all connected to some part of experiences in the Mahabharata. Why I like this today, why I have this vacation day here, why is this day here? Does that make sense? And so people would learn about this through a collectiveness of sharing in a society. But it meant that someone knew more, so they're better, the Brahmins, the priests. And it creates a fragmented society, that's it. And so Patanjali just notices that, like, well, people are not free as much as this I idealistic perspective would present itself. Right? And the idea like, oh, if you knew this, then everyone could be happy and everyone would serve each other and everyone would not fight because I already learned from these two family members that they went and killed each other and they were killing each other people during the time and he had a lover and he wanted his wife so he killed her husband and all these different parts in the story that show us how life can be. But we have to know that. And that was hard. So Patanjali comes along and he's like, okay, you know what? Let's tackle it head on. And because it's memorization, I got to memorize, I'm going to make it simpler. And here's simple sentences. And if you come to me, I'll help you memorize them. And the first sentence is, what are we going to talk about? Oh, I'm going to talk about yoga. So yoga begins in the now. So now I know what I'm talking about. I'm not talking about Krishna. I'm not talking about chemistry. I'm talking about yoga. Atha yoga nushasanam in Sanskrit. Yoga begins in the now. And then, well, what is yoga? We had yoga from Krishna, from the Bhagavad Gita. And so Patanjali gives a better definition, a more scientific definition. Yoga chitta vritti nirodaha. Yoga is calming down or stopping this turmoil of thoughts and feelings. When this turmoil stops, you know who you are. What a beautiful way to describe, right? So Patanjali just makes it more scientific, more direct, more accessible. What is yoga? It's trying to calm the turnings of my emotions and thoughts. And when they calm down, that which I am acts. 
So he didn't speak about asanas. He did, remember, I told you the three things, but that's later. Okay. This is the very first things he said. Now I'm gonna now I'm gonna give you another sentence. So Patanjali's Patanjali's teaching are separated in what we call chapters. In Sanskrit it's called Pada. P-A-D-A. -A. There's four padas. Two of the padas are easy to understand and do. The other two are confusing and challenging because they require certain skills that I have not yet met a person who could do that. The other two also describes a variety of powers that can come to you with a constant warning. Don't get distracted by the powers you're getting. That's not what yoga is about. There's a constant reminding in the second two in the last two chapters to be careful about the things that you doing this kind of practice can give you, because this practice wasn't designed to give you these powers. Yes, you might get them, but that's not what it's about. What is yoga about? To know who I am. Right. Same for Krishna. Krishna was teaching Arjuna. Not that he would remind himself that he's Krishna. Krishna knows that he's temporary. Krishna shows Arjuna that he's everything. And by embodying Krishna, then eventually I will also be everything. Does that make sense? I'm taking the form of something that's already everything. And the form is helping me realize, I'm just giving you a form because it's easy for you to capture in your mind. But remember, my form is everything. I showed it to you. Right? So Patanjali is just more direct and more scientific, like I said, rather than using images and using things that can confuse. Let's be direct. Stop the turnings of your emotions and thoughts. And then you'll know who you are. And then the term in English is weird because it's more about that which you are will just act. Like you're just going to act in that way. If you were Krishna, you don't, you're not thinking about Krishna. You just are Krishna. So you're acting. You're, you're kind to people. You're smiling. Does that make sense? You're not trying to do that. Does that make sense? How that which I am will be there. Because at all other times, the fourth sentence, Patanjali points out, at all other times, you're operating from five different aspects. You're not operating from your true sense of self. You're operating from these five things that act upon you. Mm. Some of them are colorful. Some of them are not so colorful. And notice how he's not using um, good or bad. No. He's just using mm. some of them are colorful. Some of them are not so colorful. And now he's going to go into a description of how you tend to think of who you are. Mm. And you think of who you are based on direct perception. Which is true, like, I mean, if it was snowing outside and you walked into the snow, it would be cold, cold, mm. right? No one and no person in the world can convince you that snow is not cold if you stood in snow. Correct? Direct experience. Now, if I've never been to snow, I might say, no, snow is not cold, but I don't have direct experience. I have an indirect experience. <laughs> and so we also make our minds about who I am based on indirect experiences. 
Remember back in the days where we used to think that the world ended in the horizon as a cliff? Mm. <laughs> remember that? No. Huh? No, you don't remember? No. What? All the sailors didn't want to go out because they thought the horizon line was a cliff and I'm going to fall over. Not, not, no, no, you don't remember that, or you never learned that, or no, saw that. Uh, no. But if you just go back 250 years and read about navigation, you'll realize that there was a perception okay. that I can't go there, it's the cliff, I'm going to fall. <laughs> they told that the earth was flat. Flat. Yeah. They used to think the flat. earth was flat. Not round. Yeah. Not round. And that's so. because they didn't know anything else. Remember the idea we're using yes, this yeah. indirect experience. Yeah, yeah. The direct experience of mm -hmm. today is I took a boat and I went around. Mm. So there's no cliff. <laughs> direct experience. <laughs> indirect experience. Mm. Patanjali only points out that these are the ways that we think of ourselves. Mm. So I think of who I am based on a direct experience. I have arms, I have legs, that's me. But that's not who you really are, right? An indirect experience, a direct experience, an indirect experience would say, this is me. And it's like, great. So I made a knowledge of myself, but that's based on not correct information quite yet. Mm. Not, not colored information. But he's not judging it, he's just pointing out, you're making an image, you're making an image. The image you have of yourself is based on these, on direct experiences and indirect experiences. Mm. Right? Like... Like you might think I'm afraid of something, right? Whatever fear you have is an indirect experience because you haven't faced it yet. Mm. That makes sense? Yeah. But you have an image of that. Like my mother doesn't want to drive the highways. So she's afraid of driving the highways. So now she has expression of who she is that's limited. Now you might not ever want to drive the highway different, but you don't need to feel limited. Does that make sense? But she has this image of herself. That makes sense to take these ways of yeah, breaking yeah, down Patanjali's yeah. words. So direct experience, indirect experience, memory. Memory is recalling things you happened to you in the past. So you're basing your image of yourself based on stuff from the past. Mm. Simplest experience is you're Veronica. You were called Veronica when you were young and now you have a driver's license. So you still think of yourself as Veronica. Mm. It's based on memory. No, that's your name, yeah, okay, people call you, but that's not who you are, <laughs> right? That makes sense, yeah. this way of... Mm. Then the other one is deep sleep. And it's very funny because Patanjali points out that in deep sleep, you are who you really are, mm. but you're asleep. <laughs> yeah. Meditation is like deep sleep, mm. but not being asleep. Mm. <laughs> that makes sense? So in deep sleep... Again, these are, so if you could, those of us who don't enter deep sleep, don't experience the same calmness as when you do go deep sleep. And when you have a deep sleep and you go deep sleep, you wake up the next day, you're feeling a little better. But if you could remember the experience you had in deep sleep, you'd realize who you really are. This, this is just a body. It's just a body. It's a vehicle. It's going to go away. It's going to die. So are you the body or are you something more like what Krishna was trying to say to Arjuna? What do you mean you're going to kill them? There is no such thing as death. How can you even say this to me, Arjuna? Krishna tells Arjuna. After all these years I've been with you, you still have an idea of life and death. 
How can this be? Okay, let me show you. Let me show you life before. Let me show you life after. Let me show you the heavens when you guys are going to go back, hanging out together and having fun again. Does that make sense? This idea of life and death is confusing. It's not true. It's colored incorrectly. And deep sleep is like death. When you're in deep sleep, you're like dead. And yet there you have a real understanding of who you are. Or the real, that which you are comes out. And then the last one is imagination. You make an image of yourself because you're imagining things. Imagination is very unique. Imagination only can happen on things you have already seen or know. If you have never seen an elephant, you will never imagine a pink elephant. But if you've seen an elephant and you know what the color pink is, then you can imagine pink elephants. So you can imagine whatever you want to imagine about yourself. He's not judging. There's no judgment here. He's just trying to help us realize these are all ways that you're playing games with yourself that confuse you to know who you really are. And you, you also have to be aware of all those things to, to know who you are. Because if you have all those things and you don't see them, you can never be true to yourself. There you go, correct, there you yeah. go, exactly. So yeah. knowing this yeah. can give you that. Yeah. But Patanjali is even more simple than that. Mm. So he just described all these like I'm describing to you, right? Mm. This is the first 11 sentences of Patanjali, what I just talked to you about. Mm. The first 11 sentences he describes. Then the 12th sentence he goes, Through practice and non-attachment, you can lessen their effect. Mm. You'll stop. Mm. He's no longer using the word yoga. He's using two new words. Practice, abhyasa, and viragya abhyam. Abhyasa is practice. Viragya abhyam is non-attachment. So through practice and non-attachment, you make these five colored and non-colored things lessen. You're able to calm your chitta. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah. And now he will define practice. Practice is the effort to remember who you are. <laughs> Not like this. <laughs> we'll take so any questions or thoughts on these twelve sentences and how they correspond to the Bhagavad Gita. Well, it's very similar, similar, but more accessible, and doesn't require a Brahman. Doesn't require. I can, any person can do this now. Mm. Whether I am untouchable, mm. whether I'm a king, whether I'm a woman, whether I'm a child. Mm. Right? We can all do this. Mm. Remember who we are. And every people have the five things. And every, all of us, yeah, all, all of us make have, these, yeah, all yeah, of us yeah. make ourselves through these five, yeah. direct perception, indirect perception, memory, um, deep sleep, and imagination. Yeah. We're all making this idea of who we are based on this. Yeah. That's why we keep ourselves separate mm. <laughs> compared to recognizing mm. that we're all one. Now you had moments and if you haven't had them yet, I hope you will, but you wouldn't be in this room if you didn't have glimpses of these moments and glimpses of these moments come in the form of maybe you sat with a, uh, your, your pet and there was a moment that you just kind of had this awareness that you and this pet 
are not different. Or you sat with a tree, or you sat at the beach, and it was like, oh, wow, everything. I don't know, however you had this. So this is on one scope. The other scope is the more humanistic scope, which is your lover. So you may be, I hope you had, I mean, that's the hard part in terms of relationships, so that's not what I'm going to talk about. But depending on you and your life, you've had a few moments that you and someone were looking at each other in the eyes and felt one. <laughs> and if you haven't had that yet, I hope you do. And otherwise you just kind of, oh, I need to get something and so I'm going to get it. Right? But true aspects of love form is in certain moments that you and this other person, and notice I'm not saying it's sexual, it could be your parents, it could be your friend, but, but it tends to be that the sexual side gives us a clearer, faster image of that. Falling in love with someone is feeling um, like you and I, these two individuals are one. Right? Have you had that? Or the last one is if you have a child. And that's true whether you're a man or a woman, um, if you're open to it. If you're a man, the woman, again, even for the woman, because some women will have a child, but they'll have like post depressions and they don't like the child. But there's a sense, there's, there's moments, and especially right when a child is born. That, that there's a feeling there of a oneness with this new form of life. And depending on you, whether or not. So I just gave you a bunch of different ways that maybe in your lifetime you had these moments that you weren't so separate from the world outside. That makes sense? That's what, that's what, both, that's what yoga is trying to help us recognize. It's not going to fix your bank account not going to help your sun citation it is not going to help you drive a car it will not help you learn another language it will not make you healthy it will not make you satisfied if you're hungry not going to do any of that but it will give you a glimpse that right wow this life has that <laughs> and that's what yoga is about remember who you really are from Patanjali think of me as Krishna that I'm everything <laughs> that's yoga that makes sense. Otherwise, it's just calisthenics. <laughs> and I don't have a problem with using calisthenics, but that's why we had this satsang <laughs> to kind of explore that. Now, on the first pada, this first book is all about kind of the theoretical, right? Notice everything I just said, kind of theory, right? The second book starts with a very beautiful, interesting sentence again. So the first book gave us an interesting statement about practice is practice getting on the yoga mat and doing sun citation or is practice getting on the yoga mat doing sun citation to remind myself that I'm like the sun to remind myself that I am the world I am everything you decide because it's individualistic but Patanjali helps us understand practice is remembering who I am then he comes around and then says, Tapahas Vadhyaya Ishwara Pranidhanani Kriya Yoga. So now we have the word yoga again at the end. Kriya means action. So now we have yoga and action. Oh, that's interesting. What's yoga and action? Because that other thing was weird. Yoga, Chitta, Vritti, Nirodaha, yoga to stop the turnings of the mind and the heart. And like, oh, it won't stop. No, they don't stop. And so the words in English are awkward and that's where a good teacher can help you. It's not that you're going to stop your thoughts. That's never going to happen. It's not that you're going to stop your emotions. 
that's never going to happen. What can happen is if you're focusing on breathing, then why are you thinking about your thought? <laughs> right? It's your thought, as one of my teachers points out. And yet you want to think it back to yourself. It's your own thought. And now you're sitting and thinking it again. Why? Because it's nature. It's, in the, human, it's the human experience. And so it's not about stopping thoughts. It's more about when you have a thought, well, why are you paying attention to it? Keep paying attention to what you're doing. I don't know what you were doing. So this practice, connecting our practice. Well, look, I told you to inhale and exhale. So why are you worried about what to eat later? <laughs> yes, that thought comes like a cloud it came and left you can watch it if you want to but make sure you're watching your breath more right or apply the Patanjali if you remember now practice remembering who I am right who am I I am everything great let me inhale let me exhale lunch oh wait I'm, I'm everything <laughs> and then when you eat lunch eat Right? A famous yogi once asked, what is enlightenment? Right? This idea of enlightenment that we all finally are totally aware. And he said, enlightenment is eat when you want to eat and sleep when you want to sleep. And then people were like, what? That's it? And he's like, yeah, but when you eat, you think. And when you sleep, you dream. <laughs> Remembering the deep sleep. In deep sleep, I am who I am. So yeah, if you could eat and just eat and sleep and just sleep, then you'd be in the same space of what enlightenment means. Right? That kind of makes sense? Mm. But that's really interesting about the, uh, sleeping is one thing when you are in deep sleep and you are, you are in deep sleep and you don't aware of anything else. Correct. Uh, and also when you eat, that's so important to eat. But I think also if we, when we eat, we are somewhere else. Yes. And to be with the place where we're eating, if we can take this deep sleep to the eating. Correct. I've never heard about that before, but it's so interesting, actually. Great, awesome. Yeah, because it's so important to eat, because food is a good thing, and we right. need <laughs> but, but actually eat and just not eat. eat. Yeah. Right, right. And, and I think it's so many things you can do to... It's also a practice, actually. Correct, yeah. it's practice, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Correct, yeah. it's practice. And to eat and be aware of what you're eating and the, your state of mind or right. everything, but just be there. Right, right. And then the food is tasting so much better. Correct, also. Yeah. correct, yeah. correct. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right. That's why I brought that example. Yeah, it's, it's a good example. Right. Yeah. And so we had the philosophy, we saw a little bit of the connection with the philosophy, but now suddenly Patanjali starts his second book with yoga in action. Because he knows that for many people, the first part might be confusing and weird and I, there's nothing to do. Mm. I'm trying to stop my thoughts, but I can't. I, what to do? What should I do? What should I do? <laughs> I told you what to do. <laughs> Practice. <laughs> so yoga in action. And he's very interesting in his sutras. Because he says, tapas means enthusiasm, fire. The fire of enthusiasm. So take a moment and remember moments in your life where you were so excited about something. And the world has a different feeling when you have that kind of enthusiasm. Right? 
Now try to have that enthusiasm every moment of your life. <laughs> Action. <laughs> so, enthusiasm, tapahas, svadhyaya, self-study. Now, if you want to learn French, then you got to study French. If you want to learn about who you are, you got to study about who you are. So the self-study here is, look, there's a lot of stuff out there. Go read them. Self-study or go study them like we're doing now. That's action. See, now this is yoga in action. And the last part is Ishwara Pranidhanani. So remember how we had the talk about Krishna being everything. And we had the talk about practice to remember who I am, but we didn't have a definition. During Patanjali's time and a little before, the term, the word Ishwara is collectively known as that which is everything. So remember how Krishna, Krishna is still Krishna, still a unique individual, and he has to show you that he's everything. Otherwise, you're just seeing Krishna, like you're seeing Gabriel, you're seeing Pam, or we're seeing Veronica, right? And so, unless Veronica shows us that she's everything, we're still going to think of her as Veronica. So Krishna shows Arjuna everything, that he is everything, and now Arjuna can rest in more strength to imagine himself as Krishna to then recognize everything. Does that make sense? It's kind of like a, yeah, it's like a, a, wave, a wave, a way in. Yeah. A way in. And so Patanjali doesn't need a way in. He's like, well, let's go in. And so everything, everything has a term in Sanskrit. And that term is Ishwara. So in the Upanishads, they talk about how all the gods know that, yes, I'm a god, I'm a god, I'm a god, I'm a god, I'm a god. And the reason to think about God is because you think that you're limited. So might as well think of a God. And because a God or a Goddess, they're not limited. <laughs> right? So then you're not limited. Why are you limiting yourself? Why do you think you're limited? I'm not pretty. Who said that? Think of, you, think of Lakshmi. You're Lakshmi. There you go. Just as beautiful as Lakshmi. I'm poor. Well, what are you talking about? You're Saraswati. <laughs> um, so you have all these images of gods in the India world. Because they're trying to help each individual rise above their limited self. Mm. Like with Krishna. Mm. But all these gods and goddesses, they also know that they're part of Ishwara. Yeah. That makes sense? Mm. So Ishwara is the term of everything. And so, Patanjali uses that knowledge by pointing out, have enthusiasm, yoga and action. Self-study, yoga and action. And have faith. Have faith, faith that this connectedness actually exists. Why do this if you don't think that there's, I'm going to use a term that may or may not bug you, but why would you do this if you don't believe that there's one God or one energy or one love? Right? Why would you want to do yoga then? Yoga in action. Very different than yeah. how we're yeah. thinking about it. So this is how he starts the second book. But now as he goes through the second book, he starts to go and help us appreciate things that we can do. And he gave us these three. But as much as he understood that the first book is going to be challenging for the average housekeeper and the average person, he realized that maybe these three are also slightly confusing. Well, you know what? Let's give you eight steps. <laughs> and, if you, and it's not eight steps, it's eight limbs. And limbs is important to understand. Limbs is like your arm and your leg. Now that you've been doing asana practice, 
you've discovered that, oh, I have a body, but I wasn't using the body as efficiently as I can. How do you know? Because now you're using your body differently. And as you said, I have new muscles. (laughs) 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 Right? So limbs. We know some of our limbs, but we don't know all our limbs. So it's like that. Some of your limbs you'll be able to have better knowledge of later in life. Like when you're a child, you only have a certain way of knowing your limbs. As you mature, you're controlling your limbs better. As you do asana practice or any practice with your body, you start to know your other limbs better. So in the same way, Patanjali's limbs are in the same fashion. They're not linear. One, two, three, four. They're about, when are you going to know about your fingers? When will you discover your toes? When will you discover your leg, your arm, your shoulder? Right? You'll discover them if you pay attention to them. And so he describes eight limbs. Four of the limbs are confusing and four of the limbs are accessible. I'm not going to break all eight limbs yet. What I'm going to point out though is that these eight limbs were there, but they're just, and that you read them or you hear about them. And it's like, okay, well, how will I put them into action? Right? And so you can put them into action one at a time and focus on them and each of them one at a time in your day. And that was Patanjali's approach. And in many ways, you would have to go out of society. You wouldn't even hear about him unless you left society. And we have a beautiful example of this through the story of the Buddha, the prince known as Siddhartha. So when Siddhartha, the prince, is confused about life's problems, why is there sickness, poverty, um, death? His servants like, dude, why are you asking weird questions? And these questions the yogis ask. So why don't you go hang out with them and they'll tell you. And notice how I just described it. The yogis live outside of society. And so he does. The Buddha leaves his home, he leaves his wife, leaves his family, Siddhartha leaves and goes hangs out with these yogis. And he'll hang out with them for a few years. And when he leaves them and discovers his own understanding, which won't be very different in Patanjali's, but when he has his own understanding, He'll have his own teaching that also have the number eight, <laughs> eight steps and eight limbs and ways that are very similar to Patanjali, which for me is, again, no one knows because no one lived there and there's not like written history books like we have today. But when you play the, the game of, well, it's not like, well, how come you don't have just six? The number six was also prevalent. A lot of this stuff was also there. How come you have eight and they're similar to Patanjali's eight? Because chances are you learned this style of yoga with the yogis there. Patanjali style. You obviously didn't learn the Bhagavad Gita style. Right? It's not like he's meditating on Krishna. <laughs> so he learned more of this Patanjali style. The Buddha. So an easy example to see that element in action. That the yogis are outside of the society. Are some of them also similar to each other? The eight of them? Yes, if yeah. you look at the yeah, eight steps stop, of the yeah. Buddhism yeah. and eight steps of Patanjali, yeah. they're very, very, very similar. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe slightly different vocabulary mm-hmm. use, but very, very similar. Mm-hmm. And so, a man named Vamana Rishi comes along, and what he realizes is that, wait, I don't want to leave society. 
I want to keep my family and I want to keep living in society, but how will I be able to bring the teachings and the aspects of yoga to my life? How will I take this eight steps from Patanjali and bring them to my life? And so Vamana Rishi puts together a beautiful system that will take care of all eight limbs. And he starts with asana. Because if you're not going to get up every day and do the poses, then who cares about the eight steps? <laughs> right? Yeah. Meaning you don't have discipline to do practice. How do I know you didn't come up and do your practice? You didn't even show up to do the asana. <laughs> now I'm going to take the asana, which is limb number three. So in the eight limbs, Patanjali describes them as a linear, like step by step. But remember this not, but it's easier to talk step by steps. Like I'm going to talk about my foot, my knee, my hip, my belly, my shoulder, my head. But just because it's comfortable to talk like that, I could have talked from a different way. But can I ask, is, is the eight limbs, it's also in the body, is it starting with the foot if you... If you no, no, the eight limbs are not in the body. No, it's not in the body. No, I'm using no. the body only yeah, as okay. a fact of yeah. limbs. So, it's not, you so could I could have talked about belly, shoulders, head, yeah, then... Okay, okay. I could have chosen a different approach. Yeah. Patanjali just simply chooses to start with one thing. I'm not going to go there yet, I will though. He starts with two things that I haven't described yet, but they're, they're, when I describe them, you'll understand why I didn't. Because you can't practice them. You think you can practice. I'll give you one aspect of those limbs, which I already gave you, because those three things are part of the first two limbs. Enthusiasm. Mm. I already gave you, but notice how hard it is to practice enthusiasm. Practice enthusiasm. Good luck. <laughs> Right? It's not the same as practice sun citation. What's easier, practicing asana or practicing enthusiasm? The easiest is to practice asana. asana. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But if I come up, if I come to asana every morning, what do I have to have? You have to have uh, enthusiasm. enthusiasm. So enthusiasm is a byproduct yeah. of doing something. Mm -hmm. See that? Mm -hmm. Still a limb. That's why, that's why Vamana Rishi is like, well, I'm not going to start with enthusiasm. Because I can't really help, I can't see you practicing it. But I can start with asana. Mm -hmm. And I know you don't have enthusiasm when you didn't show up. <laughs> right? <laughs> but they're all connected like the body. The body's not separate. It's not like I have an arm over there and a leg over there. <laughs> they're, all, they're all one body. So it's not like I can practice asana and then practice this and then practice that. Right? Vamana Rishi just gets that understanding. Because mm. from Patanjali, I can sit and practice this, and then I can practice that, and I can practice that, and I can practice that. Mm. But then that's going to take all day. That's mm. why I have to leave society. <laughs> mm. Right? Vamana Rishi is trying to give me a practice that I can do together in a period of time that will satisfy all eight limbs. Mm. Mm. Right? Mm. And so I connect them. And Vamana Rishi realizes, oh, I got to connect them. How do I connect them? So he used a very beautiful word, sentence. Vina vinyasa, yoga asana din nakrayat. Without vinyasa, yoga poses don't take. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now at the time, vinyasa is a term for music. Sanskrit is a language of music. 
the way words are together is vinyasa. Mm. Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Hare Ram, Hare Ram. This sound is a vinyasa. Mm. The notes go together. There's a certain intelligence on how they should go together. Mm. That makes sense? Mm. If you've never heard music and you listen to my kid play the piano, you'll think, wow, what great music. Mm. But there's no rhythm, there's no knowledge, there's nothing. That's not real music if you know music. Sanskrit is a musical language. The relationship and how sounds should go together is, cons is known as vinyasa. Mm. So the term was already there. Mm. So Vamana Rishi just pulls this term that he knows about getting a few things together to make them flow correctly. Mm. And I got eight limbs, how will I make them flow correctly? I'll take the vinyasa. Forget this vinyasa that the poses themselves. That's true too, but how will I get the vinyasa? Oh, wait, I'm going to take the asana and I'm going to connect it with pranayama. So you have pranayama in the practice. Already, the practice is already pranayama. Inhale, exhale. And inhale has one movement, exhale has another movement. That's flowing, that creates the connection. That creates a music. Mm. Hence, when I give you different ways, it's kind of like, well, look, why would you want to keep doing that? Now you're just doing asana, mm. but you're not doing vinyasa. Mm. So drop that. Because mm. what's the point? The idea here is to do a yeah. vinyasa. Mm. Because the vinyasa, then if I take asana and connect it with pranayama, then what happens? I go inward. I got to feel my breath. And in ashtanga, for beginners, I don't, I don't like teaching the bandhas yet. If you don't know how to control breath and the movements, there's no need to go to the bandhas. They'll come. I promise you. If you practice regularly, you'll be and you go in, you'll know where your bandhas are. You'll feel them activate. They activate. And so the next part is pratyahara. Go inward. And so you're going inward right now because you're listening to your breath. Whether it's audible or you're just paying attention to it, you're listening to your breath. It's inward. It's not outward. I'm not listening out there. <laughs> right? I gotta listen in here. That's why that's why this practice is about why are you listening to me? <laughs> why are you why are you why are you paying attention to me? You have to go inward. Pratyahara. It's interesting because until now <clears throat> I practice in sort of a different way, you know. Correct. It makes sense, but if you usually now go around for to make one class of uh, vinyasa, no, vinyasa, I mean, is your focus is not listen. Your focus is not inward, your focus is outward. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everything, put, uh, Everything, is Everything is outward. Everything is outward. In modern money-making yoga classes. <laughs> but that's really interesting. Uh, when I I have taken one classes after I started with Ashtanga, and that was a vinyasa flow, and it was so ignoring for me, because I at one I need to have be outside of myself actually yes. because it was music and you have to be so concentrated about the teacher was uh, saying and I was after that I was thinking now I know why I'm doing <laughs> what I'm doing exactly but I have to to experience have that yeah, experience yeah. as well yeah you have to but, have the experience yeah, exactly yeah. Right? Yeah. so but it's totally different 
So, uh, yeah. Again, it's not judging. I mean, today, no, no, I mean, like, like no, no, the hope of a class in my mind is to inspire you to do self-study, yeah. to inspire you to get to a point yeah. where you will now do yoga. Yeah. The class itself is not yoga; it's just it's asana. But yeah. what are we, we going to do? You know, mm. and the same in the moment where we're going to get to another word that we use a lot, but mm. it's not the right word. No. Right. Mm. But it's great that you all see this. So notice how yeah. these are the middle limbs. Number three, asana. Number four, pranayama. Number five, pratyahara, going inward. Number six is dharana, which is concentration. So when you're focusing on moving the body in the rhythm of the breath and listening inward to the breath, then what are you doing? You're concentrating. You can't, you can't be distracted to do that. These four you can do. Right? You can do. And that's what we're doing. That's the power of Vamana Rishi. Yeah. And so he took these four, and, and in order to do them well, he, he put together these. And then he put together these poses in this order, because he discovered that this order of poses can help make your body better. Mm. That's why this is called Yoga Chikitsa. Chikitsa means to detox. I am cleaning out your body and mind by doing this practice. And if your body and minds are clean, then what can happen? Then you'll know who you are. <laughs> right? And if I do these four limbs, if I actually do them regularly, then suddenly the other four limbs will happen. What an idea. Remember how we just said, if I show up to the mat every day, I have to have enthusiasm. Oh look, enthusiasm showed up because I <laughs> came to the yoga mat. If I have to learn this on my own, what am I doing? Self-study. <laughs> right? Oh look, I just took the two things that he told me in the beginning, yoga and action, and I was able to get them even though I wasn't doing them. Right? See how Vamana Rishi was tricking the average human being to be able to do something, you can do this, takes you an hour, two hours, but if you do this, and then you go to work, hang out with your family and all that, you don't have to go to the forest and practice, you can just do it in the morning, get up, do it, and now you have a whole day with it. Wow, what an idea. And then Ishwara Pranidhanani, right? Like, I mean, and then that part is like, well, have faith, it's like, why am I doing this? Like, why, why am I keep doing this every day? Without this faith that there's something, you know, you're going to not keep coming. Your enthusiasm will wane, your self-study. Part of it is the self-study. Ooh, I studied what Patanjali, where did this eight limb come from? And if it's a good teacher, they'll make sure to help you know that, like we're doing now. Does that make sense? So these first three things, enthusiasm, self-study, and faith in the connection of all, they're part of the second limb known as niyamas. Niyamas relates to con relating to others. The first two limbs have five parts each, making a ten, giving rise to the ideas like Ten Commandments, which has a similarity in what's going on there, by the way. So there's five and five. Now we can go back to the first two limbs. The first limb is called yamas. Things relating to you personally. And the other aspect is niyamas, things relating to others. 
each of them has five. And so the, in the first, in the Yamas, we have these five, these five. We have Ahimsa, which a lot of times you're going to read and people will say non-violence and don't kill ants and blah, blah, blah. Even though we just left the Bhagavad Gita where they're killing each other all day long. <laughs> and practicing yoga, by the way, because <laughs> Krishna told. Ahimsa doesn't mean non-violence the way we like to think of it in English. Ahimsa means don't be like a lion. Now, what's really beautiful about Patanjali is not that he defines things in this way of moralistic, modern lifestyle of ours. He defines and then he gives you. He gives you the term and then he gives you a sentence to help you understand it. Here's what he's going to say about when you have immersed yourself in not being like a lion. When you're not being like a lion, you have a sense of strength and wherever you go, you bring peace. So when you are not like a lion, your, your presence in a room will make it calm. Mm. Right? Mm. How you are not like a lion, it's an interesting experience. Because it requires moment by moment aspects. Right? This is a mis- again. And so some people feel like it's not, oh, it's the mosquito on me, don't kill it. That's one way to describe it. <laughs> right? But Ahimsa also is like, well, how fast do you get angry? How fast do you jump on things, right? What does the lion do? He, he pounces. He jumps on the animal to kill it. So there's different ways on how each and every one of us can see how we are. And it starts here on the mat. How much are you angry at yourself, frustrated with yourself, wanting more of yourself here on the mat? And then how will that translate? So again, you can try to practice ahimsa. But it's going to just kind of rise up, kind of like if you boil water, eventually it will bubble and you take water, you got to put fire under it. If you just put wire in a pot, it ain't going to boil. But if you put fire under it, then eventually it boils. So I give you fire and eventually you'll have ahimsa. Eventually you'll realize you're not angry as fast. And either you noticed it about yourself if you've been doing yoga for a while. And if you haven't, I'm sure your friends have. And your family has. Right? No, maybe so. Oh, I mean, not yet for you, it's okay, but you will. And then I was like, I mean, an easy example is like husband and wife. And it's like, well, you're so cranky, why don't you go to yoga? (laughs) (laughs) Why are you so cranky? Go to yoga. (laughs) Go to your asana practice. (laughs) 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 Ahimsa, not like a lion. Such a truth. Patanjali does not say don't lie. Patanjali says truth, and then he points out, when you are immersed in truth, everything you say will happen. Mm. What in a concept. Mm. Right? When you are immersed in truth. Then there's asteya, not stealing. Now, the term ah, like ahimsa, isn't about no. It's more kind of like, like absence, absence. Right? Not like no, the way we think of, don't do that, don't do that. I mean, it took me a long time to recognize that difference in terms of the Patanjali Sutras. Where it's not no, it's just avoidance of stealing. Yeah, I don't tell you, I don't tell, I don't tell you don't steal. You want to steal, steal, I don't care. <laughs> right? But if you avoid stealing, you'll have everything. I didn't tell you don't be like a lion, that's not what I said. I said just avoid being like a lion. 
And then when you walk in, everyone will have peace. Feel free to be angry and feel free to be like a lion. I don't care. It's not. Does that make sense, this way of presenting Ahimsa, Asteya? So we have not like a lion. We have truth. We have um, non avoiding stealing. Then we have um, Brahmacharya. And that's a very difficult term again in terms of translations. Brahman. Brahman is the first aspects of the universe. So now we got to go back a little bit. And when this world, before the world you see, there wasn't this world in terms of Hindu, Indian mythology, where we get all these terms from. And so the world was just considered to be a lotus flower with a head floating on it. A head. Okay. A head. A head. Now, because you're here in Asia and maybe you've seen it, some statues have a head that has a face in all four parts. Mm. Have you seen such statues? No? No, yeah. No. Not yet? Okay, so um, look because they exist. Maybe here in, in, in Bali a little less compared to Thailand or maybe here in Ubud. But, but if you go around, you'll see statues with a head and the head will have a face here, here, here and here. Okay. Eyes, nose, mouth. And that's the head. And that's the reason we have statues like mm. that. This head is considered to be Brahman. And now, we t now we're going to connect why Patanjali even uses Chitta. Mm. The story. Again, it's a story. It's just a way to ex understand the universe. The story is that this head is floating around. And one day, one day... The head has a thought. Mm. Who am I? Mm. Now, you have to appreciate that if I'm a head, just floating, if I'm going to think, then I'm going to split. Because mm. now there's two of me. Mm. <laughs> and this is what the world, in terms of Sanskrit, recognizes as when the first sound happened. The minute Brahma thinks of himself, he breaks himself, he splits, and this split made a sound, and the split is not a two-way split. When you think about yourself, it is not a two-way split. There is you who are doing the thinking. There is the subject you are thinking about. And there's an action of thought. Mm. So you just split yourself into three. Mm. The sound om has three parts. A, u, om. In that moment, the sound om came to the world. The moment Brahma thinks of himself, the sound om appears. That makes sense? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And it's this sound Om that is the basis of Sanskrit. Mm. All the other letters of Sanskrit come from Om, from that sound. Mm. So, again, to use the same, absence of a seed, when there's no seed, is the sound Om, Abhija. So Om is considered to be an Abhija sound, a sound with no seed. Mm. 
All other sounds are bija sounds, have a seed in Om. That makes sense to that? So now let's take a moment to appreciate Patanjali and this story about Brahman. Brahman the head thinks of himself splits. What is Patanjali encourages us? Limit the thinking and turnings of. Why? Because you're splitting yourself all the time. When Brahma thinks of himself, there is Brahman the creator. Brahmacharya. Be like the creator. Have <coughs> Acharya means a teacher. Have, have Brahman be your teacher. That's what it truly means. What you're going to end up with is a lot of books telling you it's about don't have sex and stuff like that. But it's not about abstinence. But rather, if I'm the creator, and I'm letting the creator be my teacher, I'm going to use my sexual powers differently. Mm. I'm not just going to go, screw anything, I'm trying to be the creator. This is, so sexuality, because of, its, because of its life-affirming way, meaning through sex there's life. Mm. If you don't have sex, you ain't going to have another life. Mm. You ain't going to give birth, mm. right? Um, and so... So a lot of times in English, there's an easy way of going there. But it's more about recognizing of the responsibility of what we should do with our sexual lives. And what Patanjali points out is that when you have brahmacharya, you have incredible strength, physical and mental. Mm. Right? And so it's not so much about abstinence. It's more about awareness and using your sexual energy mm. in a way that is going to serve you. Does that make sense? Let's finish with that. So Brahman splits. Brahman is considered the creator because he was the first head, always there. The subject. So if I'm going to think about myself, I am gorgeous. I'm pretty. I'm beautiful. I'm, I'm the best thing life ever happened. <laughs> Good soul. Of course, yeah. and that's Vishnu. And so Vishnu, yeah. Vishnu and Vishnu yeah. is the blue god. Yeah. You see a lot of blue gods yeah. here. He's always beautiful, yeah. always described as beautiful. He'll come back in the next life as Ram, another very beautiful. And then the most beautiful of them is Krishna. Krishna is a avatar of Vishnu. Yeah. He's the fifth avatar of Vishnu. First two avatars are animals, and then it's Ram, and then it's Krishna. First three. And so Krishna is, no, four. Brahm, Buddha, the Buddha is also considered to be no. the avatar of Vishnu. Vishnu. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So the first two are animals. Mm. There's a turtle, and i got to remember the other animal. And then there is Ram, who is from the story about Ramayana with Hanuman. And that's a different story. We might do a tatsang about that. Mm. And then the fourth one is Krishna in this story of ours. Krishna, beautiful, splits himself. So every woman in the village could have a Krishna. <laughs> right? And so we have these now three. And so Brahman, Vishnu, the beautiful. And then the action is represented by the god Shiva. And Shiva is the god of action. Right? He's the, god, he's the warrior who kills and stuff. So now we have the three deities, Brahma, Vishnu, and, and, and Shiva. These are the three pillars of Hinduistic God formation, right? But, but isn't also Shiva the destroyer? Action. 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 Okay. Right. Mm. To destroy, I got to act. Yeah. 
yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's, and yeah. creation. Yeah. Right? Mm. How does Krishna, how does Shiva fix what he did mm. when he killed the boy that Sita, uh, that Shakti made? By taking the head of the elephant yeah. and putting it on the head of the boy. Yeah. And that's how we have Ganesh. Yeah, Ganesh. Yeah. <laughs> so Krishna is both, uh, yeah. Shiva is both a destroyer and creator. Yeah. Yes, Brahman is considered to be the creator, yeah. but Shiva's giving the aspects of action. Action has both sides yeah. of destroying and creating. Sorry, what, the, what did you say about uh, Ganesha? No? Ganesha is the son yeah. of Shiva. You don't know the story. Uh, you can uh, repeat that? Yeah, I'll tell you the story So in a, in a brief way, and then, and then yeah. we'll finish for today. Yeah. So, Shiva and Shakti are married. Yeah. Shiva tends to like to go away and meditate for many, many years. So he leaves his wife. Which also gives us a, a, a practical approach on appreciating certain aspects of India life. Why men go away and women stay. Uh, so Shiva likes to go and meditate and Shakti is alone. And so one point... Shakti's like, man, you've been gone so long, I'm bored, I'm alone. And like, oh, what the? But wait, I'm a goddess. I got powers. <laughs> so she takes the hair from the brush of Shiva and combines it with her hair. And she combines the two hairs and makes a boy. Now she's got a son. That's both of them. And so the son grows. And one day, the son, Shiva's, Shakti, um, Shakti's like, hey, I'm going to go take a shower can you just watch the door, make sure no one comes and bugs me? I want to enjoy myself. <laughs> <laughs> so while she's taking a shower and enjoying herself, her son is outside kind of guarding the gate. And so and behold, Shiva decides to come home. Now Shiva's a hermit. He's like, he lives in the forest. He's got long, matty hair. He's kind of, the best example is to think of Bob Marley. Okay, like this Bob Marley. Imagine Bob Marley shows up in your house. Now, if you don't know who Bob Marley is, then he's just like, dude, you're like a dirty little mountain guy. What's wrong with you? Why are you doing here? <laughs> and so that's what happens. Meaning the son sees this beggar-looking, derailed kind of man that's kind of like coming out of the forest, wanting to go in the house. And he's like, what are you talking about, dude? No, you ain't going in the house. And so Shiva gets pissed. He's angry. And Shiva's easy to anger, easy to calm down. He's so angry, he takes his sword and cuts the, the head off. <laughs> now there's a big commotion, right? All this screaming and blah, blah, blah outside. Mm -hmm. So Shakti hears all this, comes out. And she's immediately filled with two emotions. One, my husband, lover, the one I, I love all my life, is back. Yeah, I haven't seen you in eons. I'm so happy to see you. But the boy I made is lying down dead with no head. And now she breaks down. She tells him, it's like, dude, but I made this. As a... Now Shiva, remember, quick to anger, also quick mm -hmm. to calm, feeling so sad and so bad, says to the world, whatever first creature that comes through, I'm going to take their head and bring my sons back to life. And lo and behold, comes an elephant through the forest, Indra. And Indra is like this elephant that knows Shiva. They know each other. But the, this elephant is not a good elephant. He steals, he lies, he torments, he crumbles. He's just, you know... And, and now that he hears the story from Shiva, he's like, please take 
straight my head. I've lived my life so weirdly, but I'll, now I can do something beneficial with myself and bring some positivity through my life. And so Shiva takes his head and puts it on the boy, and now we have Ganesh, the boy with the elephant head. And why is Ganesh always outside the door? Yeah. Because I was protecting the uh, Wow, yeah. Thank you. You're welcome. And so we'll just tie in the rest so that, so that story helps us. We have Brahmacharya connecting us. Have, and then the last thing is Aparigraha. Avoiding hoarding. No need to hoard a lot of stuff. Why are you carrying so much stuff? Huh? These are the five yamas. Notice I said you can work on them individually. But I've been doing this practice for almost 25 years. And I've discovered that, wow, like, like many of those things like, just happen. And I'll just be honest about the one thing that's very difficult for people, truth. Truth, we tend to think of what we say outward. Mm. We're not noticing a lot of stuff on how inwardly we are not so honest to ourselves. And, and you, you notice that, you just begin to notice that you just tend to have less white lies and, mm. and stuff like that. You're not, again, you're not trying to hurt people's feelings. That's another part of, of truth that Patanjali talks about. If the words you say are going to hurt other people, that's not truth. No, so it's it's better to yeah. be truthful. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Tr so yeah, so that balance of of like, I mean, just because your white your 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 friend is fat, telling them that they're fat, I mean, mm. that might be true, but that's not truth. Yeah, then it sense? will be then it will be uh, ahimsa. Then right, correct. Then yeah, it becomes yeah, more ahimsa. Yeah, yeah, now yeah, I'm yeah. causing violence. Yeah. I'm I'm actually it's like I had this image. Yeah. So there's a balance there yeah. that that as much as you may want to try to practice mm. on its own, you should. Meaning, no reason to lie to people, mm. but being able to understand that that truth has a different kind of quality yeah. is something that will arise mm. through practice, mm. right? And while you could go to the forest and practice unknown, the idea here is that by doing this practice, the four limbs, asana, pranayama, pratyahara, doing the sangha the way we, put, then these will just happen. They'll grow in you, right? As you age, you'll just notice yourself being way more truthful. Less like less angry, mm. less jumping. It's just things that kind of evolve, mm. not things that I did now and I have them. Mm. Same like we said about the enthusiasm, self-study. Mm. So those three are part of niyamas. They're the last three. The first two are beautiful. The first one is saucha, cleanliness. Clean your body, clean your mind. Right. And your speech. And yeah, so mind speech, yeah, right, yeah. right. So when I think of mind, so like, yeah. what are the words yeah. that you're saying? So connecting now saucha with yeah. the satya mm. is easier, right? Mm. Meaning, because now it's about others. Mm. I'm going to go, because truthfulness is truth, but the minute it comes out to other people, then it's like, wait, are you, are you clean in how you're mm. talking to others? Mm. Right? And if you're clean, then you'll be truthful. Mm. And then santosha, contentment. Just be content. Just be content. Like, you know, for whatever, whatever's happening in your life, how will you be content? Right? Like, I had an accident and then my, like, my leg broke. And it's like, ooh, how can I bring contentment? I lost all my money. How will I be content? Mm -hmm. Maybe I have all my money and will that be contentment? Right? Mm -hmm. How will I be content with whatever life throws my way? Mm -hmm. Yamas ni yamas. On the first, on the first part. And then the last two parts are weird. One of them is a word you hear all the time, but it's weird because meditation isn't what it is. 
everyone concentrates, very, very few people in the world meditate. Mm -hmm. Meditation is a consequence of concentration. When the effort to focus becomes effortless, that's meditation. You get glimpses of it if, you, if you're an artist. So if I'm a painter, I gotta first learn how to paint and all that, that's a lot of effort. But once I know all of that, and now I'm just gonna flow, meaning like, like, like think of, maybe you don't know who he is, but Pollock, that artist. And so at one point he had like this, this, this aspect, he's been a painter all of his life, but now he had this inclination of just, I wanna do this. And then those weird paintings with just colors everywhere on the print on the canvas sell for millions of dollars, <laughs> right? So, all, but he had to have he had to go through the concentration yeah. period, yeah. or a musician, right? You play the notes, you play the notes, you play the notes, and then maybe one day as you're playing, you're just flowing. There's not a lot of effort, but you have to put a lot of effort before it could be there. That makes sense. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So meditation is a byproduct. You can't mm. practice meditation. Mm. You can practice concentration, and it becomes meditation. Mm. So in, in for everything, we need to put effort. Every exactly. In everything. Exactly. So remember not vamana rishi. Rather than take all eight limbs and try to practice all eight, here's what I can practice, and here's the things that will happen if I practice. Mm. The yamas and the niyamas on one mm. end and the um, dhyana, which is meditation on this other end. But dhyana is still, when I'm doing an effort on one thing, when the effort goes away, now I'm in meditation. But there's still, a, there's still this structured thing. When I can stay in the state of flow, the st when I can stay in a state of meditation, then it becomes samadhi. Samadhi often is translated in English to enlightenment. Mm. Hence, we had the enlightenment guy talking about sleep when I want to sleep, mm. eat when I want to sleep. And another way I like to think about samadhi is to break the, the word, to break the sound down. It has two sounds in it, sama and dehi. Mm. And the term sama means neutral or the same. Mm -hmm. And dehi is the verb to see, to watch, to observe. Mm. So neutral vision. And Rumi, who is a beautiful poet from Persia many, many years ago, almost a, over, over a thousand years ago, who had an experience with a person he felt was enlightened and shared with him all he had. And from that experience, Rumi had his own understanding of the world and would write these poems trying to describe this experience of knowledge he gained. And he has a very beautiful poem that relates to Samadhi. Beyond ideas of right or wrong, there's a field. And one day I will meet you there. When our souls, since you used that word, when our souls lie in the grass, the world will become too small to talk about. Ideas, language, even the words each other will have no more meaning. Going back to the idea that we started with, yeah. that yoga is about experiencing the oneness that we all have. Mm. There is no you and me. Mm. Namaste, if I take the word and break it down, because Sanskrit is 
more thick than English, more meaning. So the word namaste could be translated like this. There is a place of light and of love and of peace. There is such a place. Now when you find that place inside yourself, so when you can find your place inside of love and of light and of peace, and I can find that place of love and light and peace in me, then there's only one of us. Mm. Or some people say, when you find your light, I find my light, there's only one. Mm. But still, the idea of namaste is the recognition that we're one. Mm. Does that make sense? Thank you. You're welcome. And namaste. Namaste, <laughs> exactly. See, and we right with the beautiful yeah. words for that. Yeah. Was this, Thank you. You're welcome. Was this fun for you? Was yeah, this nice? really, really. Wow. Really yeah. Yeah, yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And have a great morning.